Hi, I'm Amalia. I'm a current student, and I'm the host of Sharing Things. Sharing Things is a conversation between two people who have just met, but who share a connection to the university. We start with a meaningful object that they have brought to the studio, and we take it from there. In this episode, you will meet Mona Siddiqui and S.J. Sandu. Mona is a professor of Islamic and interreligious studies at the university, and S.J. is a second-year medicine student and one of the hosts of the Medic Matters podcast. Let's see where this takes us. No one's going to message me anyway. <laughs> yeah, <I'll> t- <laughs> Self-deprecating. <laughs> yeah, I'll turn that on silent. All right. So hello and welcome to Sharing Things. So the first question that we usually start with is what have you brought to the studio and why? Do you want to start? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, what I brought with me today was a necklace that I've had for a little while now. And the pendant of the necklace is the symbol of Sikhism, which is my faith. So well, it's technically not the symbol of Sikhism, but it's kind of been adopted like the cross for Christianity and things like this. So it's actually what strikes me about the pendant is that each part of it has a specific meaning to remind a Sikh of his faith. So it's quite a recognisable symbol. I don't know if you guys have seen it before. So I can just describe it because obviously people yeah. can't see this is yeah, a podcast yeah. after all. <laughs> yeah. So um, in the middle, there's a double-edged sword and around the double-edged sword is a sort of circle and then surrounding those are two curved-edged swords. And it's funny because all four components of the pendant are weapons, which I think is pretty cool. It's just sort of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the warrior race kind of. So th- the double-edged sword is almost a reminder of sort of divine sovereignty over you know, the power of life and death and the circle around it is called a, a chakra a word that's sort of been used by many faiths especially in south asia i think that's sort of used for different things it's actually a weapon it's kind of like a flying frisbee of death so what was the sikh warriors <laughs> were doing in the late 16th century would they get it and like with pinpoint accuracy 50 yards away be able to fling this really sharp thing but what it means in the the pendant on my necklace is um a reminder of god as an eternal being and there's no beginning or end to a circle. And then you have the two curved swords on the outside. <laughs> yeah, I know it's quite groundbreaking stuff. <laughs> First time I heard about it, I yeah. threw my bottle off the table as well. I was like, what, what do you mean a flying hula hoop? <laughs> no, no. And then the um, the curved swords on the outside signify, I think it's spiritual and political sovereignty. So that reminds a Sikh that he has less so political in today's terms, but more to the people around him and sort of societal uh, things that he has to uphold and of course spiritually as well i just think it's sort of aesthetically it's really really pretty yeah i quite really like nice. the i quite like the way it looks and then obviously you can break down each part of it and you kind of look at that and i look at it i'm quite proud to be Sikh, and reminds me of sort of the person i am and yeah we've, there's a reason i'm not wearing it now it's because it's broken because i was wearing it in a club <laughs> I, was, I was wearing it in a club and like mum and dad if you're listening I, I swear I don't go clubbing that much but this is why I was clubbing and there was a girl sort of boogieing away as that's divine retribution you know that yeah, yeah. God was telling me something yeah yes. and she was she was dancing yeah. dancing dancing she, she, she flies past me and I, you have to do a lot to make up for that I mean the curved sword got stuck in her hair <laughs> she was flying past me and it got stuck in her hair and I just got yanked like something out of a, like a Scooby-Doo cartoon and I, it just ripped off my neck and I was crawling around on the floor and now I, now I can't really wear it because when I accidentally chew on it I'm like I know this has been on the floor of a club but it still has you know strong meanings to me maybe I shouldn't touch it as much for hygiene reasons but <laughs> yeah no I've brought it in because it just 
it's a big part of my identity being Sikh and especially in coming up to Edinburgh and things like this where there's, you know, there's not too many Sikh people as, as there are back home because I'm from London. It's sort of nice to have a little reminder and carry that around with me. Do you usually wear it, like, every day? Um, so, before the incident, <laughs> yeah, I used to wear it a lot. So when I take it off, I'm quite forgetful. I forget to put it back on. But it's more that I usually carry it with me somewhere on my person. Or if not, it'll be sort of safely in my room away from the hair of anyone in the club <laughs> but yeah no, I try and I try and remember it if not carry it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned your experience of being a Sikh in um, Edinburgh obviously <clears throat> the pendant is quite a, a visual yeah. representation of religion so is this important for you and how is the experience of that in Edinburgh yeah I think if you speak to most Sikhs who've still kept their hair and obviously people who can't see me I have a full head of hair and I have a, a wild unkept beard and it's going a little bit ginger but it's super important to me and it's like a, a thing that when I was younger especially in it's just sort of little things like I don't know if you know on the Wii you could make me characters and no matter how hard I tried I would never be able to find a me character that looked like me that's and that type of thing and if I was watching TV and there'd be a, a sing we call him a Mr. Singh with a turban on the TV. I remember in <laughs> Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, I think there's a, a seat guy walking in the background and we were watching it with my family and we paused it. And we're like, oh my God, mum, mum, look, it's a Mr. Singh, it's a Mr. Singh. And it's kind of like, there's a fair there's a fair amount of us, but not really that well represented sort of in Western culture. And I think that does lead to some instances of lack of understanding or lack of education. You know, I was on the train with my brother and there was a little kid they sort of t- tugged at his dad's sleeve uh, on the underground. It was like, yeah, Daddy, why has that man got a tennis ball underneath his head? And instead of sort of educating his kid, his dad sort of laughed and was like, I don't know, maybe he's going to go play tennis with his friends or something instead of like educating. So there's, there's, there's sort of, I could talk for hours and hours about instances where there's kind of been like, you're made aware of how you look. But for me, when I think about this pendant, because it, it was brought about by the 10th guru, when the Khalsa was formed and the Khalsa was made to protect those who were oppressed. And if you were to see a Sikh with a turban and a beard, you were you know, meant to feel safe because that was someone that could protect you, someone that was sort of on your side. And I feel like something that I think, you know, people who I would never understand saying hello to me in Punjabi, who, who maybe would not know to do that if I didn't have my hair or I didn't look the way I look, I, it's sort of, it kind of warms my heart a little bit. And it's nice, especially in a place in Edinburgh where there's not too many of us you see one and you do the sing nod. There's a thing. <laughs> I don't know, I'm rambling on here. I'm sorry, but <laughs> no. absolutely set me off. There's a there's a video that me and my older brother watched, and it was it's called the secret sing nod. And what it is, this is almost like this little code that Sikh people have with each other. If you see a guy with a turban or a, or a Sikh woman, you can usually tell if they wear the the bangle. You just sort of give a little nod and you keep walking. And I'll be walking with my friends, and they'll be like, "Do you know that person?" I'm like, "Spiritually, <laughs> spiritually, I know that person." In here, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in here, <laughs> I, know, I know what you've been through. But yeah, no, it's 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 nice to be part of a community, even if it's sort of spread all around the world and quite far from where the community actually is, sort of in Punjab. But yeah, I'm really proud to be Sikh. So yeah. that's kind of why I brought my necklace in. Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. Should we talk about your object? I have brought in a perfume atomizer. And this has been with me for ever since I was an undergraduate. And I did Arabic and French as my undergraduate degree. And when I was in Paris, I bought this for my mum. 
this was my luxury present for her. It cost me at that time, we're going back to the 80s now, £25, which was a lot of money. Even though I had a student grant, £25 seemed a lot of money. But she always wore perfume. So for me, it was something special to give to her. I don't think she ever used the atomizer. It just would be on her dressing table. But I think in some ways, it. I kept it when she died. And she died 24 years ago. Um, not I kept it not because I bought it for her. I kept it because it reminds me of all that she was or could have been. A little bit of luxury, a little bit of um, something beyond her world. She did love perfume, but French atomizer bought in Paris was something that I wanted her to experience, but she never did. So for me, the atomizer represents all the past, but all the could have beens in somebody's life. Wow. So was your mum someone that was sort of really, really special to you? Very much so. I think for most people, especially in our cultures, mothers are so central to the way we think and where we're brought up and the values we inherit. But because she died so suddenly, she was only 63 and she died very suddenly. It took a long time to get over the fact that even though I had a full life, I was married, I had a great job, I had two boys at the time that part of me was now missing. So, you know, that was a long time ago, but I kept this and everywhere I've moved, this has just stayed with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I never use it. But when I was asked to bring in, I thought, you know, initially I thought my whole world has been about education. I'll bring my eldest son's first blazer, uh, (laughs) which I've kept. (laughs) But then I thought, no, let me bring something that makes me think a little bit as to why have I kept this. So uh, I brought this in. It's small, it's kind of grey, violety. I don't know who uses atomizers anymore. You hardly see them. But so it's almost a relic of the past, but it's very special. I really like the look of it. It looks quite rustic. Yeah. yeah. And it has one of those like, um, you don't see that often these days. You don't. Those like squishy things. Yeah. You see them in kind of Hollywood black and white films where actresses would spray. But now, you know, everyone just carries bottles and I don't even know. I mean, Coco Chanel once said, a woman who doesn't wear perfume has no future. Oh, wow. I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a feminist. I agree with that. <laughs> but I think perfume and smell is just so important. Yeah. Um, and I think we underestimate the power of smell, both as memory, but also uh, the way we feel about our lives mm-hmm. and the way you enter somebody's house. The first thing you notice yeah. is smell. You enter a hotel room. The first thing I notice is smell. Does it yeah. smell clean? So for me, it's become something, you know, the environment, the physical space where I am, the smells of that place as I've got older have become more and more important. Mm-hmm. Mm. I always kind of feel like the first thing you forget about someone is what they sound like but the last thing you forget is what they smell like and it's yeah. kind of like oh, everyone so has their true. individual smell and it's kind of it's kind of related to accents if that makes sense because you, you're not really aware of your own accent but they sort of impact other people in so they many do, different yeah. ways and like they tell a lot about you from just instantly and Inst- I feel like absolutely and we judge people straight away yeah, on their accents and yeah. actually on their smell as well yeah yeah <laughs> they do happen yeah. to smell yeah. I mean she that was her luxury anyways you know whenever it was a celebration or a mother's day the one thing I would buy her would be perfume because I knew she would wear perfume yeah um, and then all her clothing was drenched with perfume smells so even when she died for ages all the clothes in her wardrobe smelled of her perfumes so you still remember yeah, I still smells. remember and she always liked rich perfume she didn't like floral smells 
it had to be rich and rich perfumes like Paco Rabanne and all these kind of uh, perfumes they were really expensive but I remember saving up to buy her that because I knew that's the only thing she really wanted and that was just a little bit of luxury in her life even though when I say that I don't mean in the sense that you know we were a middle class well educated family but the kind of luxury we take for granted now in a world where luxury is very much part of our consumer culture Mm. where everybody's told that you can have a bit of luxury you know 30 40 years ago it wasn't that accessible Mm -hmm. on the topic of smells I had a friend tell me the other day that like I have such a specific smell I think that she does too but it's like everything about you smells the same like your your room and my family home smells the same but then I take that with me apparently wherever I go so I cook a lot. Yeah. I am so conscious that there are no clothes in the kitchen yeah. ever. <laughs> none of yeah. the boys. No, no, because you can't get that smell out. And cooking smell is never a good smell. <laughs> it doesn't matter how good the food is. It's never a good smell. But also recently I've um, taken up going to the gym and I've got a personal trainer. So I'm even more conscious of how everybody smells. You go into the gym and it just smells of sweat and leather and, you know, machines. Yeah. But the personal trainers have to be really clean smelling, you know, because they're so up and close to you. And they're touching you, they're maneuvering you, they're telling you how to do things. And I'm so conscious of bodily smells. I'm so conscious of, my God, after half an hour, I'll be stinking. I need to wear something that that smells good. So smell is kind of everywhere for me at the moment. Yeah. Good smells. I want to ask, what is your favorite smell, if you have one? Favorite smell? Yeah. That's such a difficult question. (laughs) It is. It is. Just kind of the smell that you. Hmm. I want to say mum's cooking, but mum's cooking does kind of stink. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not really sure I associate it with good things. I think but, smells that smell clean mm. are really important. Is it weird if I go for petrol? <gasps> I was about to say the same petrol. thing. Petrol. It's a weirdly good smell. It's fine when you're pregnant that you like those smells, but <laughs> <laughs> not when you're <laughs> <all> pregnant. <laughs> I also really like the smell of nail polish. Oh my yeah. god, I was just about, I was just about to say that. I used to, I used to go upstairs because I've got one sister, two brothers, and my sister's a lot older. And I used to go upstairs to my sister's room when I was like little, and this is probably why I'm the way I am now. <laughs> and I used to just slowly open, really quietly, just open her nail polish and just have a little. You sniff. know, you've been high all your yeah. life. <laughs> my mum would come upstairs and I'm sure she was probably a little bit happier that I was sniffing the nail varnish not putting sniffing it on something because, else yeah <laughs> not putting it on yeah <laughs> because she was quite a traditional family but yeah no I used to go upstairs and then my mum would come upstairs and be like why does it stink of nail polish your sister's not been home for three days <laughs> <laughs> just be sitting in the corner of our room just having like a sensual experience yeah. <laughs> high as a kite yeah high on fumes yeah 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 do you not think do you not think a petrol perfume no do you not think that would really you should just stop Mm. there (laughs) (laughs) the end of your medical career you should carry on (laughs) like because apparently um, isn't there a thing about how like bread shops or like Subway will waft out the smell of fresh bread you know when I was uh, before I moved to this house we were selling our older house in Glasgow and at that time House Doctor was one of those programmes on television where yeah. she basically told you, you know, the things you need to do to sell your house the first day. And I was selling my house and I did exactly uh, declutter, make it look like the person who's coming in can live that and also the smell of bread mm. or coffee. Oh. And I did put coffee on the pan, on the cooker, so the whole house smelled either of beautiful candles or coffee. Those are inviting smells. Yeah. And bread, fresh bread is bread, also yeah. an inviting smell. So interesting. Yeah. Oh, I I think 
my favorite smell, just my dad's cologne, you know? Yeah. yeah. Reminds you of your dad. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know when you walk past someone? Yeah. And you're like, whoa, maybe I know that person because you smell them before you see them. Yeah, it's just the smell. It's, it's not so much the smell. It's actually what the memory with that smell. Mm. That's kind of the same with a lot of things, though. Do you not feel like it's not really... Say if someone says something that you've heard before, there's something like a little phrase that maybe your your mum or your dad or your auntie used to say, and you hear that, and it's not really actually what they've said. It's kind of the feelings and emotions that you felt when they said that that comes back up. Yeah. I, I guess smells not so much for me, but no. maybe sort of words and phrases and accents. Like I think I, I sort yeah. of listen to what how people talk and what they say, and if I hear sort of similarities, it can kind of take You're me reminded. back, take me yeah, back to home absolutely. and stuff. Uh, well, it's different because you're, you know, you're still a young person with yeah. parents and a family home. Yeah. When you create your own home, things change a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. then you decide what is it that you want to take from your own family life. Yeah. And then how do you modify and change that with the family that you're now creating? Mm. Then as you get older, you realize a lot of the things that you kind of go full circle. A lot of the things that you thought you'd left behind, you're actually now bringing again into your own life. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I'm very conscious that these are the things I didn't like about my home life. I don't want those. And these are the things I did. Yeah. You know, I'm making a very conscious decision what it is that I liked, what I want to pass on and what I don't want to pass on. Yeah. yeah. If you don't mind me asking, and you obviously don't have to answer this. If, if No, no, um, go ahead. But do you have an example of something that you did like and something you didn't like as much? You know that South Asian cultures are very hierarchical in some ways yeah. and parental authority is very much respected. There's a kind of great love and respect for parents but at the same time there's an awareness as you get older you know even as you jokingly said mum and dad I, I'm not clubbing yeah. uh, that you know your parents are always watching you wherever you are <laughs> yeah. even if they're not watching yeah. you feel and it's not so much guilt but you just feel oh what would my parents say if they saw me and I think that one of the things that was quite important to me was when I was raising my own boys, that something that my parents, for all the love they showed, it was just not that generation that they wouldn't say sorry about things. Like yeah. we would always be wrong, <laughs> but they were never wrong. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of parents, you know, a lot of families can identify with that. But sometimes they were wrong. And I just don't think it was a culture where parents were ever told that you occasionally could say sorry as well. You might be wrong. Mm. And it was one of those things I made a decision very early, early on in my life that if I had children, if I did wrong, I would go to their room, not leave them to sulk or cry for days on end. Yeah. I would actually say, I'm sorry, you know, let's just move on. Uh, because I think one of the things we underestimate is how parental words can affect you for much longer than you realize. Yeah. It's with you all the time if your parents are angry or if they're happy, that's with you as well. So I never wanted the kids to be in a room crying or sad or thinking, Oh, you know, I've fallen out with my mum or I've fallen out with my dad. I wanted it to be over and done with as soon as possible so we could move on. And I didn't want them to feel alone ever. So, yeah, that was one of the things I was very conscious of from the very beginning. That's quite. I think it's quite inspiring for me to hear because obviously as you're talking, I'm sort of reliving certain things that I was doing as a child, kind of like things that my parents would say to me. And obviously in jest or even sort of they wouldn't realise how my dad would always say to me, you're a jack of all trades but a master of none. I realise now that I kind of carry that around with yeah. me while I play sort of six, seven, eight sports. Yeah. I write music, I write poems, I do all these kind of things, but I've never really felt like I've excelled at, at yeah. one thing. And I've kind of carried that. And then 
all the instances where you, you don't feel like you've done anything wrong and your parents have, have said something to you and then they ask you a question and you're like well no and they're like are you answering back and you're like wait a minute <laughs> time, time out yeah, yeah. you've asked me yeah. a question <laughs> no they don't want an answer <laughs> I'm answering back <laughs> when then, did you learn not to answer <laughs> I learned a lot quicker than my older brother yeah and I, I'd go upstairs and I'd I throw a tantrum. I don't know if you ever did this thing where you know you get sent to your room and you throw a tantrum and you'd you'd pick up something in your room and you get it really aggressively like you're about to throw it down and then you put it down really softly because you're like my dad hears me. <laughs> I'm in big trouble. So I'd be getting sort of like my lamp on the bedside table and I lift it up like I was gonna smash it and then I'd get really close to the table and I put it down softly and I'd be like ah. Is that all my nail polish you've been sniffing? Yeah. <laughs> you need to master that anger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I think I've, I've mellowed out a lot since those days. I've got kind of on the, the high and dry now. But yeah, no, it's quite inspiring for me to obviously... I'm, yeah. I'm 19. Like I'm of course. Not, and you're going to go through a lot of that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm nowhere near starting a family part of my life. But I think it's something that I'm going to be quite aware of. As a, I think it's, as it's a, just so, you know, my parents came in the late 60s. They were of that generation that never even thought I mean I, you know I often said to my boys can you just imagine if one day I said to you we're all moving to Australia <laughs> without telling you anything yeah. no, but that's what they did we just all moved and that's fine they did what they did for whatever reason but I think that sense of what the West really brings is freedom intellectual social and that's something that a lot of South Asian parents struggle with because they want you to enjoy life they want you to do well but that comes with a certain social intellectual freedoms so I always said to the boys there's no way I can raise you in a certain way and then say well that's enough freedom now you're doing things my way yeah it just doesn't work like that once you've tasted that you want to live your own life you want to live with risk you want to take your own decisions and I think as long as there's a closeness and an openness between parents and their kids let the children grow up let them do things the way they want what you don't want is your child to resent you for not allowing them opportunities. Yes, there's a little respect, there's a little bit of compromise on both sides. But what you don't want is, I really wanted to do this and you made me do this. Yeah. That, what I think, would just crush me and I think it would crush them. Yeah, I think I'm really lucky in that aspect that my parents, they weren't always like this, but they're, they've they sort of softened up a little bit in that aspect and they've kind of given me that space. Like That's good. I think in the, if I someone said to me 10 years ago, you're going to be at uni you know 400 miles away from home or however however much it is and you're going to be living by yourself I'd be like no way my parents Mm. would be having that but now I'm here and they've kind of softened up but it is it is such a big part and I think you do get that internalization of I don't want to let them down because I remember my dad would always tell me about my granddad who came to the country in the 60s um, and he was working as a bus driver My, my dad was like he came with five pounds in his pocket and look where we are now like four kids my sister's done uni is working now my brother's at uni and it's kind of like look what we've we've built from when your granddad came over and he had five pounds in his pocket and it's kind of like they sacrifice so much and and for them we're in a university environment education was everything i think for a lot of a lot of parents who come from the south from the indian subcontinent education is your leeway to everything in life all the opportunities that you want in life it doesn't matter in a way, what you study, if you are educated, that's always going to be your salvation. Yeah. So, you know, when I was at school and people were saying, well, what are you going to do when you leave school at 16? Nobody ever asked me that question because it was never a choice. I was going yeah. go to go do A-levels and go to university. I mean, it wasn't like I could even think of getting a job or anything. University was the pathway. And that may be also a class thing that middle class parents expect their kids to go to university. But I think education is hugely important. For, yeah. yeah. How has it been coming to university? 
I've always been compared to my brother and sister a bit more wanting to get out of the house, wanting to explore. Are they doing, did they do medicine as well? Uh, my older brother did medicine, but my sister did economics. And where did he do medicine? Uh, so he's still doing medicine at UCL. Now. Okay. So he lives at home right. studying medicine. Right. But even when I was little, I was always kind of like, oh, well, I'm going to go study in America and I'm leaving the house. And like <laughs> my parents always tell me stories about how uh, when someone would come to the door, I'd just open it and walk out with them yeah. and just be, I was quite like a free spirit in that way. So it was important for me to find my freedom and find my space and I've reveled in it and found found out things about myself that I don't think necessarily I would have found out living at home with the luxuries of home and it is it cocoons you away from life as well definitely and I feel yeah. like compared to my not saying anything against my brother but I feel like I've learned a lot about myself in the two years that I've been at uni yeah. than he has in the five years that he he's, he's been, been living at home he's been living at home because there's yeah. certain things you have to deal with for yourself absolutely and how you manage your own time I think the most important thing is so I have three boys the eldest did mass at Imperial. He's now working in London. He wanted to go to Imperial. The second one is actually hopefully graduating this year from medicine. And the youngest one has just started Edinburgh uh, in computing. But they're all living away. The, I think the hardest thing you learn, it's not the silly stuff like, you know, I need to cook and wash and stuff. They knew that from home. It's relationships, how you manage relationships, whether it's with friends, you know, people in authority, how you learn to grow as a person. And if you've always got parents who are managing your relationships for you, you never learn. So I think for me, having seen especially the middle one in the five, six years he's been at Edinburgh, how he's changed from always being a very popular kid at school to then suddenly coming to Edinburgh where there are lots of popular kids, lots yeah. of head boys. Yeah. Um, how he sees himself within that, the dynamics of that has been a real experience for him. But it's made him who he is today. Yeah. And unless you struggle a little bit in life, you don't learn. I think that that's something that we talk about actually in our our podcast that we're doing. I'm a second year medic, so me and a group of our medics are doing. We talk about how different it is being the top of your school. You know, I was um, deputy house captain, prefect, captain of the first team, all these type of things. Just just dropping <laughs> it's bombs. It's normal for Asian people. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was just like, but sitting around the table, there was only four of us doing the podcast. The guy next to me was like, I was, you know deputy head boy and I was head of this head of that and it's kind of like coming to a uni full of people like that how do you manage not being the big fish anymore and that's that's the same with life I feel like in general absolutely you never really leave the school playground all of life is just a different yeah. form of school playground it's a matter of survival and then you know you learn what is cool what isn't cool so I don't think we should ever underestimate how important it is to give people a sense of self-worth, however young they are, because that stays with you all the time. And I think that's even back to the start when I was talking about my necklace and my pendant, the identity of Sikhism and having that self-worth and knowing who you are and being comfortable in that in the playground and being able to deal with the teasing in the playground Absolutely. as a metaphor and literally <clears> in the <throat> playground shapes you as a person. Even though I'm only 19, I, I do feel like I found a lot about myself because of the way I look. And you say you, you have to go through certain things to grow as a person. I feel like you experience certain things on the playground or at school or down the street or whatever. And that either you either run from it. So a lot of boys, Sikh boys and girls have cut their hair and things like this because they want to mask that identity and they, they don't feel comfortable. And that's completely understandable for me. I kind of 
walked into it, grabbed it with two hands and was like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm going to be like and this is the person I'm going to be. And I felt it's really important finding your identity. Do you ever feel that you weren't in Edinburgh? Not because of the medical school, but just because there are so few Sikhs here and you would stand out because you are visibly Sikh. Do you ever feel, oh, I wish I was somebody where it was easier to be a Sikh? Um, a few times when I go back home, I realise and I see... And my, my best friend from back home is Sikh and we have so much in common because we've had such a similar upbringing. It's, it's like, you know instantly if you see a Sikh person that you have 60, 70%. You don't have to start from ABC. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're there's, already there's so yeah. much that you understand about each other. And even that's the same with even sort of people from South Asian backgrounds and especially yeah. Indian backgrounds. Like you share so much of an upbringing because it's culturally there's so many influences in how you're brought up and Absolutely. the way the way you are when you're young. But I think... Me, as I said before, I've always been kind of a free spirit. I don't really, not really fast about things like no. that anymore. That's good. I think it's not till you have to take ownership of your faith. So you leave home yeah. or you decide, well, what am I going to do with this faith? Not the faith that is within you and that is your connection to God, but the faith that's visible, the faith that stands you out. But you decide then, this is what's important to me, this isn't that important to me. Um, I think for me, the UK in some ways, despite all the things that people go through, is a really easy place to live out your faith as well. Despite the discrimination some people may face, describe the name calling. Because I think after a while people realise that actually you stand for something. You stand for a belief or you stand for something principled that they see it's not easy. You know, it's much easier to just blend in. But you can blend in as well as have your faith. I think mm -hmm. this sense that it's got to be either or is actually a huge misnomer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is a certain amount of respect, especially in the UK, that you get from, you know, I say to my friends, like, I don't drink at all either. And, I've, and everyone's like, so you've never drunk alcohol? Not even one drop? Would you ever drink alcohol? When you do drink alcohol, let me know. <laughs> I'll make sure you have a good time. I'm like, and, at the, and, at, and at the end, they're kind of like, do you know what? I really respect that because especially at a place like uni, of uh, someone my age, know going out is that's sort of that's what it is it's the be Drinking, all yeah. unit. You, you go out you drink you have a good time you wake up hungover you go to your lectures you go out you drink etc etc and it's kind of like people actually there's a certain amount of respect that people have for someone who's passionate about something and someone that sticks to something and i think generally my religion is because of the nature of Sikhism is religion and a lot of religions share this mantra is you know equality and everyone's equal and there's no one person above others and whether you're black, white, brown, whatever, you know, everyone has God inside them. And for that reason, you show respect towards everyone. And it's kind of, in a way that's kind of shaped me as, as a person and being respectful, but also that's part of upbringing. And I wouldn't say that you need to be Sikh or you need to have religion to have those values, which I think is a beautiful thing that anyone can be a good person, anyone can live a good life with or without religion. I feel lucky to have religion, but obviously appreciate that Everybody. Even without religion, you can live a good life and be a good person, which I think is quite, quite beautiful. It's gotten very spiritual. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of nail polish is coming back. <laughs> yeah. um, we've actually recorded for uh, for quite a long time. Quite a long time, and we usually end the conversation with the same question. It's always the same, and it is basically: if you could associate the object that you brought to the conversation with one word, what would it be? Home. Why home? Home and all the complexities of parent-child relationship. What you see in your parents, what you want to see, what you want them to be and what they want you to be. 
nothing is very straightforward and I don't think we should over sentimentalize home because it's a complex structure but at the same time home is it stays with us in every sort of way so it does right yeah, yeah. one word's quite difficult I'd probably just go for love because sort of every time I think about I sit down and think about either this necklace or the, what it means to me I'm kind of sort of filled with love for love for it and what it shows and also it's quite badass as well and it's yeah, I love that about it and it's you know reminds people that legally I'm allowed to carry a knife no no just <laughs> wear a t-shirt Sikhism is a badass religion yeah. <laughs> wear fair, that to the nightclub the symbol, of, symbol of Sikhism is three swords and just yeah the hula hoop of death as I mentioned earlier so like hula yeah, no. hoop. <laughs> but no yeah just filled with love when I think about it and just sort of want to share that as much as I can when I think and I like it when people ask me questions about it as well because I love to love to talk about it and educate and hopefully teach someone something new about religion maybe they didn't know so much about so yeah yeah I'd say love you should get it fixed for maybe not wear it to the club yeah no I I feel like well I tried I did a bit of DIY on it but yeah I should probably fix it up but I quite like it just (laughs) yeah having it just play around with it yeah just fiddle with it yeah and I definitely won't lose it if it's not wrapped around someone's hair and all the floor of a club so maybe it's safer like this anyway <laughs> next time it winds itself around some girl's hair she may be the one yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's the maybe sign that's, <laughs> just walk around swinging it like a lasso <laughs> yeah maybe maybe <laughs> that's the full circle that's the full circle yeah great thank you for being on sharing things lovely thank conversation you. thank you Thank you for listening to Sharing Things. Join us next time when we talk with Neve Martin McGarrickle and Holly Davidson about internet trolls, creativity, and path changes. For me, when things haven't gone to plan, it's if I don't get, for example, selected for something or I've had a bad game and I'm getting absolutely trolled on social media or on Twitter. You know, mine isn't people on Twitter telling me what my opinion should be. It's just like the voice in my own head being like, oh, you've done a terrible job. And I'm like, "Uh, have I though? Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform to catch our next episode. See you next time.